Hey guys, welcome to Listener Stories, Episode 7 of A True Crime Couple. I'm Kay. And I'm John. I absolutely love doing these episodes, and I can't believe we're at our seventh episode. You know I don't like this. <laughs> John does not like this. He's also mad that I'm making him, again, record in the dark. We always record these episodes in the dark. Guys, seven years. Seven years in the dark. And even though I do love when you guys submit stories, Kay tortures me with them, though. That's the thing. So I have sometimes I'm not even ready for them. Like I'll open one and if there's a picture, freak out. Uh, it's hard. Well, John, I appreciate you coming on this journey with me. It is a passion of mine. I know, and that's why we're doing it. I love being scared, but especially in October, this is the time to do it. And I also like the way that we get to communicate with our listeners in different ways, which is like totally fun. We kind of get an insight into your lives, which I love doing. And having open communication, like, it's just really fun. It actually is. And I just, I love Halloween time. I just love it all. I love it all, guys. So, let me tell you something. Okay. This time, we've had the most submissions we've ever had. Really? And, like, they were all terrifying. So, I have included so many stories because I just couldn't exclude some of them. Like, it's so hard. I mean, that's pretty cool, though. And there was a lot of great stories, too, that there was just too many to do. Like, this episode is already, it's 20 pages. I couldn't make it any shorter. So, I know John's face just like, what? Wow, that's a lot of stories, though. <laughs> yeah, like, usually a regular episode we'll do was probably, like, around 12 pages. So, I just think that I, I couldn't help it. I had to add them all. And what we'll do is, if there were any stories that I couldn't include... We'll just save them for next year. Works for me. Yes. I don't think you're ready for today because these <laughs> stories were super scary. I need a nightlight, guys. So before I ask the question that you're all waiting for, I need you guys to do something today. I need you to get ready for the spooky. If you're driving, disregard this because you got to stay safe. But if not, you too have to lower the lights, open your mind, and maybe also a bottle of wine. And get ready for these stories, because that's how I enjoyed them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, without any further ado, John, are you ready to hear something crazy? Yes. <laughs> Police say the suspect, 31-year-old Jeffrey Dahmer, has confessed to the killings of 11 people whose remains were found in his apartment. We are all evil in some form or another, are we not? Lock your doors, lock your windows. If you have the ability to provide additional security devices, then by all means do so. Okay, so the first story that we have comes from Cable W. When I was 12, I was at my cousin's house, which was haunted. One night I was laying down and it was really late. Everyone was asleep. I had watched a movie while laying on a pile of blankets on the floor. I rolled over to go to sleep and saw a figure in the kitchen and it looked like it was just watching me. So I rolled over and went back to sleep. I would not be able to go back to sleep. Totally incapable of going back to sleep. Uh, it would that. never happen. No. The next day, my cousin and I decided while everyone was at my grandparents' house, which was on the same property, that we would play the Ouija board on the coffee table in the living room. No. Never do the Ouija board. But no. I have to say there is something about cousins getting together that make you want to play a Ouija board. It brings out the good, the bad, and the... And the familial. Yes. <laughs> yes. So we decided to try and freak the other person out 
Well, I did start getting a little spooked and I decided I was done and turned to get up and leave when I saw what looked like a boot coming out of the attic. What? Which I'm assuming must have been like a ceiling attic. My cousin and I jumped up and that's when all hell broke loose. We went for the closet door, but it was locked. But the door showed that it was unlocked. We started running across the house to the front door. My cousin was knocked down and it looked like he was being choked. I started hitting him, doing whatever I could to make whatever it was let go. And it finally did. We started running again to the back door, which was back in the kitchen. Chairs were sliding across the floor at us, but finally we made it to the door and got out. We ran to my grandparents' house and told the story about what happened, but nobody believed us. My grandpa saw the handprint on my cousin's neck, and I started to get in trouble. But then my grandfather put his hand over the mark, and the print was bigger than his own hand. Right, so it couldn't have happened, like it couldn't have been her. Another kid. Or another kid, yeah, yeah. We left my grandparents' house to go back to the other house, and when we walked in, everything was returned to the way that it was. And we looked at each other and said, screw this. And we stayed at my grandparents' house. Good idea. That's crazy. That is really crazy. I don't know how you went to bed, though. I I will tell you that. No. If I saw something like that, there would be no shot in hell that I would be able to go back to bed and put my head, you know, on a pillow and go to sleep. Yes, we all know it's hard for John to even go to sleep after watching a horror movie at night. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I would probably have to just sit down on the couch and watch Harry Potter until I fall asleep. That is a good way to relax us. Yeah. That uh, is a fun fact about True Crime you know Couple. What? Wow, we actually just gave that away. That is that is what we do, though. That's a super secret of ours. It is. Well, we, well, it's not a secret anymore. I'm a huge Harry Potter fan, so we often watch Harry Potter before bed to go to sleep. It's uh, a weird way to relax. Yeah. It's very odd. Oh, my God. I can't believe we gave away that It's story. oddly satisfying. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> okay. So the next story, we're giving away too much information. We have to go on to Rachel's story. (laughs) This story is from Rachel. Hey, guys, my name is Rachel, and me and my boyfriend, Fergus, love your podcast. Well, we love you guys, and we're so glad you listened to us. Thank you, guys. This happened a couple of years ago, the summer after my freshman year of college. Being back home with my family after living in a dorm for eight months was kind of a tough adjustment. So I've been having trouble sleeping. So I had had trouble sleeping. This night in particular, I decided to listen to white noise to see if that would help me sleep. Well, it worked, and I quickly fell asleep. I remember having vivid, lucid dreams at night, which is something that rarely happens to me. The end of my dream was kind of scary, and the last thing that happened to me in my dream was a little shadow demon slash ghost running up to me and tickling me. The description of this little girl that I'm about to give you is important. The girl, the thing that went to tickle her, appeared to be the same height and general size of a child that was four to five years old. Basically, she was very small. So at this point, my dream ends and I wake up directly after the tickling incident. I'm laying on my side as I open my eyes and I see slits of light underneath my sleep mask, telling me it's early morning. So I go to take off my sleep mask, except I can't. I can't move it at all. My whole body can't move, 
not even my neck. This part still gives me chills. I suddenly feel movement and pressure on my bed, as if something is slowly climbing onto it. At first, I thought it was my little terrier dog. I thought that they had jumped on my bed until my heart dropped at the realization that she didn't come into my room the night before. At this point, I'm trying to yell for help, but I'm still unable to move or even speak. And what was worse was that because the mask was over my face, I couldn't even see. That is terrifying. New fear unlocked. Yeah. Suddenly, whatever climbed into my bed was now on top of me and was rustling the covers that covered my leg. I lay there and tried to convince myself that this was just part of the sleep paralysis, except I know it's real because my bed was creaking and I could hear the covers rustling. Finally, I broke free from the paralysis and everything immediately stopped. I took my eye mask off and there was nothing there. Later that day, at my job as a librarian, I did some research and quickly realized that what I experienced was not a sleep paralysis-induced hallucination. And then I realized that whatever climbed on me was small, like a child, and it was grabbing at my legs and rustling the covers like it was tickling me, the same way it had tickled my legs and feet in my dream. Demanding answers for this equally terrifying and interesting occurrence, I decided to seek information and purchase sage at my favorite occult store. As I picked out my sage and prepared to pay, the cashier, who had eyes that appeared like they could look through my soul, asked me what was wrong. So I told her my story as the owner came over and listened as well. The owner told me that a woman had come in that same morning and basically told the same story. That's weird. And this is weird because we're going to have a listener later that has a very similar story as well. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, I will tell you this, Rachel, and this goes for every story today and from every other time. I'll never try to disprove anything or not believe. I have a very open mind. Like, I, I don't, I believe people go through things that are unexplained. The thing about what you just read, though, I can kind of like, I'm in touch with it a little bit because it's actually funny. So we're in this house right now, and I had what happened here a little bit in this house. Now, no one tickled me, and no one climbed on me. But one day, I was taking a nap on a couch, and I was watching I was watching TV. But you know how like when the TV, uh, after a while, it like asks if you're still watching? So when that happened, obviously there was no noise. I must have been asleep. I must have got caught in between because that's how they, that's what they say like with sleep paralysis. It on my end, I was up, but I couldn't open my eyes. I couldn't move. I was only able to turn my head just a little bit left and right. Everything else would not move on me. And I was hearing footsteps walking closer and closer and closer to the couch. And it, and it was crazy. And then I'm in my mind, because I can't speak, I'm in my mind, I'm like yelling, come on, get up, come on, come on, come on, move, move. And I'm like actively trying to keep moving my head to like get my body up. And it worked. And I got up and I swear to you, I popped up ready to fight somebody because I thought somebody was there (laughs) Um, and there was nobody there. So now that that's happened, I actually refuse to take naps during the day when I'm home by myself. 
because it happened once and I will never do that again. And it happened to you in the old apartment too. Actually, you're right. It's twice. It's yeah. happened twice to me. You're right. Thank you. I, I actually forgot. You're welcome. Um, it feels like a, a lifetime ago that we weren't in this yeah. house. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with this house, but it happened to me on that couch. Yeah, sleep paralysis is definitely an interesting experience, and I feel like it manifests for people differently. But when, so Rachel goes on to say that when she had this conversation with the, you know, the woman that worked at the occult store, the one who owned it, she believed that the combination of white noise, because apparently it makes you more spiritually in tune, and the weird spiritual essence that apparently was in the air made her astral project. Okay. Because that this had happened to somebody else as well. I see what you're saying. And I have another piece, which is actually a very weird coincidence. This is very um, insidious. Yeah. Okay. Now, Rachel, I got another piece for you. It's funny that Kay just read that because you know what I was doing every day for the week before I was actually, that that actually happened. Do you remember, Kay? Listening to white noise. I was listening to pink noise, uh, which is another frequency, and I was doing it before bed every night. What made you pick pink? I, I well, I did some research, and people said there was different types of like, you know, uh, quote unquote white noise, and pink noise is just like a a softer frequency, I guess. Oh, okay. It's a little softer. I don't know. Just thought you were in your Barbie like jam. No, I was not in my Barbie jam. It was just <laughs> what they call it. But anyway, my my point be, <laughs> my point being is that's actually weird. So I was doing that a week prior to. The incident. So that's interesting. So yeah. maybe it was, you know, making you more spiritually in tuned during times of relaxation. It's possible. Which is when your mind is a little bit more open. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to, you know, let you know about mine. <laughs> that That's crazy. Yeah. So what she's saying is that basically whatever made contact with her in her lucid dream was able to like kind of make contact with her in the real realm because it had touched her. And there had been like some astral projection taking place. Very interesting. Which is super interesting. And she said, anyway, I saged and didn't sleep without my dog for the rest of the summer. (laughs) And nothing like that has happened since. That's crazy. It is crazy. Okay. So our next story, we're going to like kind of switch gears a little bit, is from Jamie B. And she says, hey, guys, love your podcast. Here is my story. It's not creepy. It was just definitely something I think about often. We live in Gilbert, Arizona, and one year my son and their school took a field trip to the Grand Canyon, and I was a chaperone. You're a brave mom. (laughs) (laughs) When we got there, I was assigned five boys to be in charge of. After some time together with the rest of the kids, we were supposed to meet up after a little walk up the road. Somehow we got separated from the group. We saw across the way a little shop and hotel area. I had five fourth grade boys with me. That is a horror story in and of itself. I I agree. (laughs) I told them to sit down in some chairs next to the window that I was walking into. And I just needed to ask the lady where something was that I was looking for. As I turned around, this man walked by me and he looked right into my eyes. I got this weird shudder feeling. His eyes were black. And he just looked right at me. And then he walked out the same door I had walked in. I walked out and stood by the boys. And right then I saw another couple walk up that had been with our group. I noticed off to my right that this man, 
the one from before, was standing at a bus stop, kind of away from the group. But I felt like he was listening to us. And as I was discussing with the other couple where the rest of the school was, we decided that we would walk over to the shop and see if they would meet us there. When we walked into the shop, the very next thing I knew, the man was in the store. And I was thinking, hadn't he previously been waiting at the bus stop? What would make him wait at a bus stop and then walk into a store? I looked at him and wondered why he was in the store now. I noticed specifically because I can't forget that most awful feeling when I looked into that guy's eyes. We walked into the store a little bit. I glanced over my left shoulder and there he was. He was right by us, closer, just lurking about eight feet away from us. I told all the boys to stay close and kept my eyes on them the whole time. I walked to the back of the store, looked over my shoulder again, and he was standing right there. So I told the boys to pick out the things that they needed and head up to the front. I told them to grab onto the little handles of their backpack so they could stick together. So like kind of like a line of them. Mm -hmm. We checked out of the store and I walked out the front door. We sat down at a table and then I noticed him walk out the front door of the store. He looked directly at us. And this time I looked directly back at him, letting him know that I noticed him. He paused, shook his head, and he walked back into the store. I felt like we were being hunted. It was the most uneasy feeling to keep seeing him pop up all around us, especially when I was the one who was supposed to be keeping these boys safe. I don't know how I can say this confidently, but I know he was itching to grab one of those boys. It was a feeling that she had. It was a look on his face, the shudder all over my body when I looked at him. I cannot deny that. Like if I saw his face on a TV screen or a mugshot, I would recognize him immediately. I can't forget it. I feel like God protected me that day and sent something in my mind to keep those boys safe. Because there's definitely scary people out there. And it just takes someone to notice and pay attention to things. Especially because we were around a national park. Very interesting. Um, Well, first off, two things. One, I think that I would like to hire you as my chaperone slash bodyguard. Yes, I would feel safe with my You had your head on a swivel, girl. And that's really good. I mean, I'm I'm impressed, actually, by your... the, The fact that you were able to know that something wasn't right and you were able to spot it and keep an eye on it, uh, I think is actually amazing. Um, but hey, listen, you know, you're right. The world is crazy and, you know, you might have been on to something. Right, but you recognize the threat. Yeah, which is great. And that is so scary. And, you know, the statistics of people going missing around national parks is so high. Yeah, it's kind of weird. There's such a correlation between missing persons in national parks and cave systems in America. Yeah, I mean, there's so many unexplored cave systems in America as well. Well, that was that's a completely different tangent. Yeah, but I know, sure, but just put it out there. I think it is very interesting. I think it's just because it's a high-traffic tourist place. So, yeah, sometimes people get really caught up in things and they're not paying attention. So yeah. it is important to do so when you're there. And you know what? Like, it might It might not have been as bad as you thought, but regardless, it doesn't matter because it's better to be safe than sorry. I completely agree. And it's the same like when you do go on field trips with the kids, like your antennas are definitely always up. Oh, yeah. 
Okay, our next story is from Rihanna from Australia. Oh, yeah. John's favorite. Hi, Kay and John. I recently joined Patreon and listened to your stories and how you came to start your podcast. So seeing as this is the month for listener stories, I thought I would share my own. My grandfather passed away when I was around 13 years old. Prior to his death, he stayed with us before going into hospice. After he passed, our kettle would turn on by itself, and you would have to get up and switch it off. So now we had a long hallway that was very eerie to go down. The long, dark hallway led into the kitchen when we'd have to go into the kitchen to turn off the kettle. And it was scary because when you would walk down it and then get to the end, you wouldn't necessarily know what was waiting around the corner. I don't like that at all. No. And then what I can imagine like heightens that sense of like fear is the fact that there is this loud noise happening because kettles are so loud. Yeah. My bedroom was closest to the kitchen. So when you would leave the kitchen, you would have the living room area to your left and to the right would be the long hallway that had all of the bedrooms and the theater room, which is so cool. We need a theater room. I would love a theater room. Well, we we don't even have a third bedroom. We don't. (laughs) Maybe we need a third bedroom first. (laughs) So one night I got up to get some water from the kitchen. I didn't turn on any lights as we had a lot of light from the street shining into the kitchen. On my way heading back to my room, a movement caught my eye from the living room. And when I turned my head, I saw a figure leaned forward in the chair where my grandpa usually sat. Oh, man. Okay. I got such a fright that I ran into my room, closed the drawer, jumped into bed, and pulled the covers over my head. And then I felt a hand brushing my hair. No. Telling me that everything is all right. And I just kept telling myself that there's nothing there, that I'm dreaming. And I never went to the kitchen again at night. The kettle also never switched on by itself again after that. It's almost like that it was her grandfather showing himself to her. And because he scared her so much, she just, he stopped. Trying that's, to get their attention. That's crazy. Is that the end of that? No, there's more. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Good. So for years, we had no weird things going on, but you always had the feeling of another presence. And the second part of a story, so I guess it's kind of like a second story altogether. After school, I went to the UK on a working holiday visa. During that time, my grandma, who stayed with my parents, as she needed full-time care, had passed away. When I returned home, the presence felt even heavier. Six years after this, I was married and had a newborn. We were in the house, and my husband was watching TV in the living room, and I told him I was going to bed. Me and our little girl were sleeping. When the next moment, he came rushing into the room, shaking. He woke me up, And in a rush, he asked me if I had been standing in the doorway leading from the hallway into the living room. I said no, but he said that I had to be lying because someone had been standing there. After he took me at my word, he switched off the TV and came to bed, tossing the entire night. As our girl grew up, she never wanted to go into the first bathroom on her own. She was so scared of taking a bath. So my cousin's wife can see spirits. 
She gave my mom advice. She said that she needed to cut an onion in half and leave it behind the door for the day. If the onion stays white, the spirit is not evil. But if it turns black, well, you can guess what that means. So my mom decided that she didn't know um, if she wanted to know. So she never did the onion test. Okay. But my parents still live in the same house and believe that it's good spirits as they've never tried to hurt them or really scare them. It's very interesting. There's a lot of things that happen at that house. Wow. I mean, that's pretty crazy. I mean, well, first off, I just want to say I'm sorry for your loss. Um, But, you know, it it is interesting because when you're dealing with possible family members' spirits, it's always a very hard, like, call to make. It's like, is this okay that this is happening? Because it could be, you know, people that I loved before they died. You know, that's very difficult. I remember I, I told both my grandmothers many, many, many times. I'm like, guys, I love you both. But please never, ever try to communicate with me because I will be so scared. And both my grandmas told me, of course, never worry. Like, we literally had that conversation. And we had <laughs> you were it for, that scared. You were like, yes, don't come to Yes, me. and we had that conversation for years back and forth. And I'm like, if I'm like, if you guys want, you can like turn on a light or something or like do something. But, but that is it. I said no physical thing, like nothing that I could see. That that's a person. I get that. I'm like, everything else, it's cool. And they were both like, okay, no problem. I I was like, please don't do it. So, you know, everyone, I guess, is a little different. But that was my call with them. I'm like, please don't do it. That was actually, I never was nervous about that happening. But I remember, like, the night that we heard that my dad passed away. Yeah. And we always usually slept with, in the apartment, the bedroom door open. It was horrific ventilation in that apartment. And I remember thinking the whole time, like, what if I see him down the hallway? And I was terrified the whole night. I mean, it was a very emotional night, but I remember thinking, what if he's there? What if he's there? Yeah. And it is like, it's scary. It is scary because it's like, well, I mean, that is your your dad or that is your family member. But then a part of you wants to see it. Yeah, almost, right? It's a weird feeling. Exactly. Okay. The next story we have is from Naveen from Australia. Another Australia. Another. Yes, I know. I put a lot of Australia in there for you. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So she wrote, hello, my favorite couple. Oh, well, we love you. (laughs) I'm not sure if this story for you is spooky or just mysterious, but it's definitely a true one. And I cannot find an explanation till this day. So this is another one, much like the sleep paralysis astral projection story that I found common themes amongst the stories that were sent in. Okay. So I thought like, okay, I have to include both of them because it's weird that two people are having such similar experiences. I also find that a little interesting. Mm -hmm. So she is a 26-year-old female from Australia. Okay. She has four siblings, two brothers and two sisters. The story I have for you today will involve my two brothers only, as my sisters weren't born yet. I'll give my brothers the aliases of Hayden and Josh. I am the oldest of my siblings and my two brothers came next. We are not that far apart in age, just a year difference between us all. This story takes place when we were little. I'll say it was about eight, making Hayden seven and Josh six. My siblings and I got along pretty well and that might have been due to the fact that we were all so close in age. 
but there was something extremely strange about our bond. The best I could describe it to people was some weird connection, similar to that of being twins or triplets. But where the story begins, everything was normal, until it wasn't. It started with dreams. I have a high belief to this day that some dreams have significant meanings, probably because of what I'm about to tell you next. But as an eight-year-old, I started having a particular dream. It's a random dream, but significant to the story. The dream went like this. My mother would be driving, and me and my two brothers would be sitting in the back seats. My mom was on her way to my grandmother's house to drop something off. She parks in front of her house and tells us, I'll be right back, leaving us in the car. We'd nod our heads and just stay seated until she returned. But then Hayden would take off his seatbelt and jump into the driver's seat. Josh and I would stare curiously at him, wondering what he's doing. And Hayden would say, let's go for a drive. Josh and I would laugh at him, thinking he was kidding. But then Hayden turns the car on and our laughing would stop. Josh and I began to freak out and I would say, don't do that. Turn it off. It's not a joke. And Hayden would say, I'm not joking. Josh would implicate that he's just a kid, seven years old. And Hayden would say, I don't care. And Josh and I would freak out, but I think we both felt like he was bluffing regardless. Except for the fact that he wasn't. He would reverse the car and begin to drive out into the busy road. Josh and I would scream and plead with him to stop, but he wouldn't. He would speed through the streets, swerving uncontrollably, while Josh and I would scream and scream and scream. And that's where the dream always ended. Just with us screaming. And I never knew what happened next. If we lived or if we died. Wow. It's an intense reoccurring dream. To okay. <laughs> the weird thing about this dream is that I would have the same dream often. It was random. Sometimes I would have it and then... It would go like a week or a month until I would have it again, but it really repeated throughout my life for about a year. I never told anyone about it because it was just that, a dream. I would have been about a nine years old now, and when I woke up to my brother Josh screaming in his sleep from his room down the hall, I rushed to him. And Hayden was there because they, the two of them shared a room, and we would both be at his side. It was clear to Hayden and I that Josh had had a bad dream. We were curious to know what happened, and I asked Josh about it. He told us that he keeps having the same dream, and then my heart would sink at what he would say next. He described that he had a dream about my mom parking the car to drop something off, leaving us in the car, and then Hayden would take the wheel and start driving recklessly. Get out of here. Yes. I was speechless, and I wanted to scream, that's literally what I've been dreaming. But then Hayden interrupted my thoughts and asked Josh, don't tell me that mom parked in front of grandma's house, too. And I looked at them both, and finally, I had to say, like, no freaking way. They realized that the three of them had been having the same dream on a regular basis. That's crazy. The three of them. Like, what are the odds of that? The odds that two people would have 
The same reoccurring dream. The same dream. reoccurring dream or even something remotely close to one another is so low. Like it's such a low chance. But now three people having the practically or I should say the same dream now, that's even lower. It's like a message is trying to be sent to them from like maybe their future selves. Yeah. Like very haunting of Hill House. That's insane. That's terrifying, right? It is actually because it's scary because it makes you think, okay, well, if we're all having this dream, why are we having it, right? Secondly, what does it all mean? Right. And how how can it really be that we're all having this dream? It's pretty scary. Right? Oh, my God. Well, it doesn't stop there. Oh, Because okay. then their dreams began to creep into their reality. Hmm. For some context, we would often stay at our grandmother's house during the day as our parents worked full time. One day at our usual stay at our grandparents, we were doing our usual kid stuff, eating, watching TV, and annoying our aunt or grandmother who would try to discipline us while our parents were away. That day, the only people present were my grandparents, one aunt, and two uncles. Both my aunt and uncles were young, like in high school, so they lived with their parents still, of course. I was in the kitchen of the house talking with my grandma when I heard someone call out my name. I assumed it was one of my uncles, as it was a male voice. It was not my grandpa because I saw him sitting silently watching TV. I walked into the gaming room, which was where everyone usually hung out, and said yes to address who was calling me. My uncles and brothers were all in that room. Everyone looked at me weirdly And so I asked, who called me? Everyone shrugged and seemed to not know what I was talking about. I assumed that one of them were pranking me, so I walked off. But then I heard my name again, and it came from a different part of the house. I followed the voice and entered another room, but no one was there. I rolled my eyes, because it must have been a prank. I went back to where my uncles and brothers were and said, very funny. And they looked at me like I was crazy. As they were all in my line of sight, I heard someone say my name again. Puzzled, I asked them, did you just hear someone call my name? My uncle said no, but my brothers said yes. Weird. At that point, the voice wasn't just saying my name. It said, Naveen, Hayden, Josh. My brothers got up then and came with me to find out where the source of this voice was coming from. Because it definitely wasn't my uncles, wasn't my grandparents, it wasn't my aunt. So who? We went room to room and door to door following the voice, and it seemed to come from all parts of the house. We started crying and grew scared and pleaded with everyone to just end the prank. But my grandparents had a look of concern on their face. And so did our aunt and uncles. They all sat in the same room at that point and reassured us that no one was saying our names. But as they said that, all we could hear were our names repeating over and over again. I mean, that's kind of scary. Yes. Because you're in, you have zero control over this. Like, you know, there's no adult that could help you, you know, if this is happening. It's taunting you because you can hear it and they can't. And they can't. Which I feel like, you know, because, I mean, I've seen so many shows and stuff, whether it was real or not, you know, whatever. But they, they say that that's because, you know, uh, younger children and babies are more susceptible to uh, outside forces. Correct. And, you know, and that's maybe what that's about. It's interesting. 
it is interesting. And at this point, everyone, like all the adults there, were convinced that the kids were pranking them. So they brushed it off and they went back to doing whatever they had been doing before. She writes, my brothers and I just sat in a room scared for our lives, crying as the voice would not stop. But eventually it did. And we never heard it again. And no one ever believed us. Till this day, we cannot explain it. We have had other minor experiences, but those two events were the strangest and scariest. Nowadays, the bond we once had isn't the same. We theorize that the moment our sister was born, that the weird experiences just stopped. But that's just our theory. The other theory was that we grew apart, but not in a bad way. You just develop different lifestyles and interests. We're not sure, but we always reflect on that dream and that voice. And we wish we had answers. I mean, I've never even heard of anything like that before. I mean, that's that, definitely a first for me. But it also could have been due to your age, depending on when your your other sibling was born. Maybe it was just that whatever ages that you guys were at, um, you were had after that the inability to connect to yeah. something else, maybe. Right. I don't know. Well, you also get old. Like you said, like when you're younger, you're kind of more susceptible to it. As you get older, it's different. It's definitely different. Yeah. yeah. So... I mean, it's very possible. So crazy. Wow. I mean, I mean I've mean, i never, ever heard about that. I, I can't even imagine, like, just not being able to stop hearing a voice. That that's crazy. And it's definitely taunting you. Yeah. Like, and the dream is just so the wild. The dream thing, unbelievable. Yeah. Somebody else later says something very similar. Oh, okay. About the dream, yeah. which is weird. Hmm. And now this next story um, is similar to, well, the second one is similar to the sleep paralysis issue. But this next story is exciting because it comes from my cousin. Ah. It comes from my cousin, Melissa. We didn't even know that you were a listener, Melissa. So this is so super exciting. <laughs> Hi, it's Melissa. always so funny when people are like, oh, we listen to the podcast and I have no clue. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God, did I say anything embarrassing? That's actually funny. <laughs> okay. So she writes, Kay and John, I've been listening to your podcast and I love it. It's crazy to listen and then remember that you're my cousin. Love and miss you. I love and miss you, too. We have to get together. Melissa lives in Tennessee, so... She's a far drive away. It's not that close. But this story, the first one comes from when they still lived in New Jersey. Okay. So, and I had remembered hearing like parts, bits of it. And it's, uh, I remember it being scary when I heard it. Our, our family has a lot of weird paranormal occurrences happen. So that's why I think I've always been into it because my mother... And her brothers, so my uncle Johnny is Melissa's father, they always, you know, would tell us scary ghost stories. I bet. I'm and sure they were good. And we loved it, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> they would have a few drinks and tell us everything, and we would be, like, just so excited to hear everything they had to say because they grew up in a super haunted house in Clifton. And this is where they lived, too. So she writes... This is when we had moved into the house in Clifton. I was super young, probably only four years old. So there was so much that happened in this house. But this is the most vivid memory I have of living in New Jersey and think about it so often. Since I was so young, my parents had set me off for the day while they had moved all the furniture and set up the room that was to be mine so I wasn't in the way. 
By the time I got there, I remember my mom showing me my new room. Even though I had all new furniture and toys, there was one thing that I was hyper-focused on. Immediately, I asked my mom, what was that tennis ball-sized light brown stain in the middle of the carpet? She said it was a candle that had fallen over from the previous owner, and some wax had just gotten stained on the carpet. For some reason, I couldn't let it go. I remember looking at it every day and just feeling weird about it, even though it was only wax. Anyway, we'll get back to this. With this new room came the new bunk bed. It was my favorite thing. I slept on the top bunk because there was a wooden slide that went from the top of the bed to the floor to the front of the bottom bunk. Starting on the very first night, I would immediately wake up around 1 or 2 a.m. every single night. I would wake up so quick and forceful that by the time my eyes would open, I was already sitting up in bed. There was no noise or physical touch that would wake me up, but I would just know that I wasn't alone in my room. I also knew that it was hopeless trying to look around my room to see whatever I was feeling in there because I knew I wouldn't be able to see it from the top bunk. From here, a nightly routine started for years until we moved when I was 10. So that's about like six years of this happening to her. That's pretty crazy. I remember this happening, but I was older so like when I when Melissa was born, I was probably like around ten or eleven. Okay. So I was like around a junior or senior in high school when this when this was taking place. So every single night I would pop my head over the railing of my top bunk to look at the bottom bunk. And I would always see a lady laying on the mattress. No. Facing the wall. No, 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 no. Ah, uh, I will give you credit though, Melissa. I would not want to do that. I wouldn't have I, the guts no. at 34 years old to uh, look no. over the railing. No, no, no. I like vividly remember being a kid and like if I thought something was scary, I would need, I would I would do everything I can to avoid it. That means sheet over the head. That means ever, like I wouldn't even try to. Yeah. So the fact that you did that, I mean, I give you kudos. But I guess you just like you have to know like if you're like something's in my room, I need to find it so I can avoid it. That that is also true, right? Like, I mean, if you feel like there's something there with you, you want to f- check it out and investigate. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Ugh, that's tough. So at first, I thought maybe this was my mom. Maybe her and my dad got into an argument, and she was just sleeping there. Looking for confirmation, I would creep down the slide. No! Oh my god! Since it was wood, my bare feet would grip, so I wouldn't just fall down the slide. So I could kind of walk down it, trying to be quiet and not wake her up. I got closer and closer. And the closer I got, I realized that this lady had gray hair in a bun. And my mom had very short blonde hair that she never wore up because it wasn't long enough. Instantly, I realized this was nobody that I knew. Instantly, I realized that this was nobody I knew. I would run across the hall, which was connected to the living room. I always refused to look into the living room because I just knew that there were people there waiting for me to come out of my room. Oh, my God. This is crazy. I remember hearing about this house. This one, when 
and Melissa sent me this email and I was reading it, I, it like triggered so many memories. I would run up the stairs to my parents' room and jump in their bed. As soon as I would get to the top of the steps, I would start hearing footsteps coming up the stairs behind me. This would happen every night for years. After a while, I refused to even try sleeping in my room because I knew this would just keep happening. I slept in my parents' bed for years straight because of the lady and the footsteps that I'd hear. And it, it was always the footsteps that seemed to be chasing me from the living room. After a couple of years, my parents decided that this was ridiculous and that a seven or eight-year-old should be sleeping in her own room. Trying to be more of a grown-up, I was determined to sleep a full night in my room. The first night back in my room, I was again bolted awake. But being kind of fed up and annoyed, I wasn't even really scared of this lady anymore. I was just pissed. Who was she? What did she want? And why was she choosing to steal my room instead of my sister's or my parents? (laughs) It's their turn to be freaked out. She's going to turn the tables. So again, I crept down the slide and saw the lady laying on her side, facing the wall. Being used to this sight, I decided to be ballsy and confront her. I went to tap her shoulder so we could talk about it. When my finger was about an inch away from her shoulder, she was instantly facing me. Oh my God, no. She didn't move. She didn't turn. She was just looking at me. She was instantly making eye contact with me. She had completely pale skin, and I remember her kind of looking like a clown. Maybe it was the lipstick or blush against her fully white skin that made me think of a clown. I don't know. But I bolted up the stairs and never slept there again. And now I'm also terrified of clowns. Years later, when we moved, I finally was able to sleep in my bed through the night. Myself and my parents were talking about this lady and the stain on the carpet one day when my mom decided to tell me the truth about the stain. And this is after, now this is when they're in Tennessee. Okay. Apparently, there was a lady who lived in the house before us. She got very old and couldn't move around much towards the end. And couldn't make it to the bathroom. And that's where the stain came from. Oh. It turned out that she died in the room that my parents gave me. Great. That's great. Oh. Uh, wow. Well, Melissa, that's actually scary. Oh, my God. That, that is unbelievable. The fact that, like, the movement, like, the like you can just, like, see it happening. Yeah. Like, there wasn't even a turn. It was just facing you. It was just you. right there. Yeah. Jump scare. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. It is crazy, though, when you think about it, how much you could actually remember as a kid. And I think that sometimes it even means so much more to credibility because you're not like if you're young, you're not going to try to, you know, uh, make something up or you're not going to. Oh, well, I watched the movie. So like if this was going on for years. Yeah. And you're young, you know. You're like, what's going on here? So I feel like sometimes that gives more credibility to when when kids say stuff like that. Yes. And I I do remember like my Uncle Johnny always being, you know, very sensitive about that stuff, like paranormal stuff, like sensitive to it. And he did say that he thought that there was something weird in that house. Very interesting. 
And my uncle Johnny was also the one that always scared us as kids. <laughs> like he was the uncle that said creepy things like they would always sleep over. That doesn't really like happen too much anymore. Like it doesn't happen with our friends. But I remember like my mom has four brothers and they were always like when they would come over, it would be like a sleepover because nobody wanted to like drink and drive or anything. Yeah. And then at night we would go like, you know, lock the front door. And then my uncle Johnny would always say like, why lock the doors if they're already in? And we'd be like, why would you say that? We're, we're eight years old. <laughs> no, <laughs> now we funny. won't sleep. <laughs> okay, so now we have a second story from Melissa. She said, this happened in March of this year. I was working from home, so I got to sleep in until about 7 a.m. I was living alone in a one-bedroom apartment with just my dog, who usually slept on the couch. My blinds would always flood my room with light which was fine because I would sleep through every alarm if it was dark. It was Monday, just before 5.30 a.m. The sun had started to come up, so my room was already flooded with light. I jolted awake, not by a noise or touch. My eyes were just instantly wide open. I was laying on my side and tried to roll over to see what time it was when I realized I couldn't move. This is when I realized what was happening. I must have been stuck in some form of sleep paralysis from how quickly I jumped out of that deep sleep. For some odd reason, I felt like a cat was hugging me from my back and was holding my arms down. I know weird. It must have been like a big cat, but I don't know what it was symbolizing. It was just like this image that I had because of the sensation that I felt was definitely, I'm not saying it was like a real cat, like it was imaginary. And I, I don't own a cat, but I just felt like there was, that was the thought that was going through my head. And I decided that if I could manage to roll my body over, that I could roll over whatever was kind of like holding me down from the back, and then I would be free. So now I was trying to, with all of my might, simply roll over. And as I did that, I happened to glance at the mirror in the corner of my room. And that was when I was sent into another shock of pure terror. Within the broad daylight in this mirror, there was a woman standing up looking directly at me. She had medium length brown hair, wavy hair, and she was wearing a white nightgown with blue flowers all over it. Her wrists were facing towards me. And I remember thinking how sick she looked because I could see her bones sticking out of her skin. From her super thin arms, legs, and neck, she looked deathly ill. I've never seen this woman before. As soon as we made eye contact, she started screaming at the top of her lungs. But not just a scream. It was a mix between a sob and a scream. It was mournful. It sounded like someone ripped out her heart. This scream was so loud that my dog ran into the room and jumped on my bed to make sure I was okay. Wow. So it was like heard. Hmm. And as soon as she jumped on the bed and started looking around, the woman disappeared. And then as soon as she was gone, I was free to move again. I mean, that is pretty scary. Especially because she's like viewing it. Like she see, it's not like she couldn't open her eyes. Her right. eyes were open and she was looking at it. Yes. That's and the, the worst part. the dog heard it too. Yeah. Well, and then you can't move. Exactly. 
I think the dog just adds like another layer of like messed upness to this. Yes. Yeah. So I was so shaken up by this all day and kept trying to convince myself it was some weird nightmare. But I couldn't shake the feeling that this woman was trying to tell me something. I remember telling my boyfriend about this later that morning. And he probably thought I was crazy, especially because we'd only been dating for about four months. I had the picture of this lady stuck in my head and I kept hearing that scream over and over. My gut kept telling me that she must have been tied to my boyfriend in some way. I just got a feeling that the two were connected, but somehow I never pushed the subject. Since it was a newish relationship, I didn't know too much detail about his upbringing, but I did find out later that his mother had died from an illness when he and his sister were young. That same day that I had experienced a sleep paralysis in the woman, at around 7 p.m., my boyfriend frantically called me. He told me his sister had been brought to the hospital and that she was in the ICU. They had found her that afternoon around 5 p.m., about 12 hours after my incident, and the doctors thought she was brain dead as a result of an accident. She did wind up passing away a few days later. I cannot help but think that the woman I saw in my mirror was trying to warn me about her only living daughter being in danger and trying to get me to stop the accident from happening. Wow. I mean, that's pretty crazy. I got chills. You know, um, and that would explain maybe the the crying... Like, the, like it, the was, it was mournful. Yes, mournful. Yes, like she said. Yeah, that's that's insane, actually. Also really scary. That is well, you got, terrifying. You have all my hair standing up on my arms, so thank Melissa, you, Melissa. Melissa, we have to get together. <laughs> that's funny. And you have to tell us that story in person. No, no, no. I don't want to. No, I don't them. want it again. No, I don't want yeah. it again. <laughs> One time is good enough. Okay. Well, love you, and we will talk soon. But thank you for your stories, because that was <laughs> wild. Yes, thank you. Okay, so our next story is from a listener named Sarah. So she writes, I grew up in a house with my sister that is a year and a half younger than me and a brother that is eight years younger than me. When I hit my teen years, I began noticing odd things happening in the house. I was scared much of the time. When I slept, odd things happened. My sister and I later found out that we would have the same dreams and experiences. Yeah, see, it's happening again. What's up with that? It's interesting, right? Yeah, it is. She said, my little brother never slept in his bedroom. He had moved out of his room at one point and just stayed on the couch. So they seemed to all be experiencing things. We never talked about our experiences during that time because it was too scary. But fast forward to when we were all pretty much older. My sister and I weren't really staying at the house and my brother was in his later teens, so he was in and out. And one night, my dad woke up and saw an old lady at the foot of his bed embroidering a towel. She looked up at him and said, don't worry, I used to live here. Oh my God, no. He freaked out and woke up my mom, but of course they kept it from all of us. She continued to appear, once freaking my sister out. So once my sister had this experience, the cat was out of the bag because she talked about it. My mom confided with a neighbor who lived across the street for 
ever. And the neighbor told my mother that an older couple had lived in the house and that he was an alcoholic. She said the woman would sew towels like she would embroider them and sell them for extra money. Wow. So now it's like it's starting to come together. Mm -hmm. Like that's an interesting connection. Now we know what's going on a little. We know that it's true. She did live there. Yeah. So that was when we began to talk about all of our experiences. My sister and I said we were upset because we would be messed with by the old man, not the woman. My brother told us that the reason why he didn't sleep in his room for years was because the man was bothering him too, that he would come out of his ceiling and scare him. What? Ugh, I don't like it. The lady would appear over the years sporadically. Um, she appeared to many members of my family and she would always make sure that they knew that things were going to be okay. Like she would always repeat, it's okay, or I live here. She would say something like that. But my favorite was when my brother had crashed at the house after, I'm assuming, partying. He got up in the middle of the night to use the bathroom that was off of the kitchen. And he saw the lady washing dishes where our stove was because there used to be a hand water pump there. And he stopped short and she said, don't worry, I used to live here. And he responded, don't worry, lady, I'm just taking a piss. Oh, my God. Because they're so used to it at this point. At that point, yeah. I mean, that makes sense, though, right? I mean, like yep. if you're experiencing something mm -hmm. all the time. It gets to the point where it's like, well, I, well if I have normal. to deal with this, I might as well just yeah. joke back, I guess. They always <laughs> say that there's like different kinds of hauntings. There's these active hauntings or there's like a residual haunting where it's almost like the spirits are kind of just living through what they did in their normal life. Like almost like they don't realize that they're dead. And that seems to be her, whereas the husband seems to be a little bit more active. Right. But the only thing is, though, is if it's a residual the fact that she has a response. That's trying, true. She is reacting. That's, that's yes. interesting. So it wouldn't be like residual. So it's not be. residual. But she wants to comfort them. Right. So their personalities are kind of coming out again in hmm. their spirits. Well, she said when her brother came back out from using the bathroom that the lady was gone. She said, my parents sold our home when we all moved out and we had put our roots down in other places. There was a family that lived there for about five years after them. I don't know if they ever experienced anything, but as of now, it's been sitting empty for going on three years. Well, that tells you something. Yeah, someone I mean, would be I, I, living I that, there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, you know, it's funny too, Sarah, because, well, I mean, I've told this story so many times and I won't <laughs> about what my, my childhood house, but I, I get your brother because there was a point in time where I got so sick of what was happening where I was that I, I remember <laughs> like hearing conversations, um, you know, outside of the door, if I was to use the bathroom or, or be in my room that it got to the point where I was like, can everybody shut up? I'm trying to take a shower. Like I did the same thing. And it's actually funny because I guess you try to put some humor into it because it is kind of scary that it's happening and you think you're going crazy. Right. So. Exactly. I'd say that is uh, funny that his response was, <laughs> you know, like that. <laughs> okay. So the next story that we have is from a woman named Heather. And now this isn't a supernatural story, 
well, it kind of has supernatural elements, but it's mainly about a true crime story that is extremely graphic. Okay. So I just want to give that warning ahead of time. If you don't want to listen to it, I would fast forward maybe about like 10 minutes. Okay. Okay. So Heather writes, I grew up in the 80s in a very teeny tiny town, Oak Park, Georgia. We had a population of less than 300. As latchkey kids, we were pretty much able to roam and do whatever we wanted with very little parental interference. We rambled woods, explored old abandoned properties, and spent many days at the river swimming. Our parents never knew exactly where we were. Lunch and dinner were check-ins, and the streetlight was a final call home. It was a wonderful time of world exploration, self-discovery, and the realization of true independence. That is so beautifully put. I, I actually like that a lot. She said, we didn't cause trouble much. We generally minded all adults. Every adult, they didn't even have to be relatives. They spoke, we obeyed, some we liked, some we didn't. The ones we despised, we played pranks on, but the ones we liked, we were always good to. There was one particular lady I always loved. Her name was Nettie Harrington. She was also called Aunt Nettie. Aunt Nettie was an old black lady who was born in 1892. She was really, really old when we were out roaming free, but she was always busy doing something. So it never occurred to us that she was as old as she actually was. I mean, if this was the 80s, she had to be in her 90s. Wow. Aunt Nettie always had a sweet smile and a kind word for our ragtag group. So I never failed to look towards her house when we passed by hoping to see her. She was frequently outdoors, and I think that's what kept her going. While I loved Aunt Nettie, I hated her house. I was actually scared of it, especially when it was raining and we had to pass it on our way home. On those days, I ran by as fast as I could. Aunt Nettie's house was an old wooden farmhouse, and I grew up hearing about the brutal murders that had taken place there, and it scared me senseless. The town talk was that, decades before, a farmer had gone insane in that house, and he slaughtered his entire family, including his children, even his baby girl. It was said that he placed them all on mattresses from the house, loaded it on the back of his wagon, put the bodies on top, and then drove them around his fields before killing himself. Oh, my God. Yeah. We should cover that. Oh, you just wait. Oh, God. We were told that there was so much blood spilled on the bare wooden floors that it soaked into the grain. So every time it rained, the blood would come to the top, revealing signs of the massacre again. And that makes sense why they were scared of the house when it rained. Right. Wow. Since we were raised, being told that the dead man's blood couldn't be cleaned up, we believed every word of it. When it rained, I would think of Aunt Nettie in that house with the blood seeping up from the floorboards. And I couldn't imagine what it was like to live there and see that. Men later gathered together and replaced the floors in that old wooden house. And I'm sure in reality it was because they were rotten or old, 
but in my child's mind, I was certain that they did it to ease Aunt Nettie's nerves. As I grew into a teen, I dismissed it as another scary story that adults tell kids to keep them in line. I figured that the story about Aunt Nettie's house was just that. Years later, and many of my own retellings of that campfire story, I got curious about the murders in Aunt Nettie's house. It seemed too specific to be completely made up, so I searched online. Lo and behold, I stumbled upon The Maniac Farmer in the Atlanta Constitution Journal. The story wasn't quite like the one I had been told, but it was just as horrifying. This gets really graphic, guys. Are you ready? I'm ready. A farmer, J.A. Eubanks, had killed his wife and two daughters in that house. His wife, Martha, was killed with an axe. He had first tried to shoot her, but she took the bullets out of the gun and threw them into the yard. Then it was assumed he tried to use a knife, since she had cuts on her forehead when her body was found. He had pulled her from her bed where she was sleeping with their oldest daughter, and he nearly decapitated her with an axe. He returned the axe to the yard and went inside to kill his one-year-old daughter, Rosalie, as she slept. With his pocket knife, he stabbed her in the center of her forehead, resulting in her immediate death. Oh, my God. It's... That's so sad. Sickening. He then used a razor on his three-year-old daughter, Irene. No. Oh, my God. He grabbed her by her hair, pulled back her head, and sliced her throat. Her head was also almost severed from her body. As it was 1914 when this happened, I can only imagine that it was one of those, like, really, you know, like, thick barber razors. Farmer Eubanks placed the bodies of his wife and baby daughter in the living room and covered their corpses with torn-up furnishings from the room. He also used the cotton from the mattresses in the house to pile on top of them. And I guess that's how the mattresses came to be a part of the story. Okay, I guess that makes sense. Once Eubanks had covered the bodies up, he went to set fire to the cotton shed and barn. Carrying a lit torch towards his house, he was seen by an elderly man. The man had spotted the fires and grabbed his shotgun. The elderly man fired a shot in warning, halting Eubanks from setting the house on fire as well. Later, it was found that Eubanks had cut the rope to the well to prevent the fires from being extinguished. That's insane. I feel like this could actually be like a a freaking movie. Yes. Whoa. The farmer then went to his neighbor's house, the home of the Page family. There he called the man's son outside. He carried a forty-four caliber pistol and saw the fishing tackle in his hand. He requested the boy return the saw and tackle to his brother because it was his brother's and he wanted him to have it. The two went out to the Page's cotton shed where Eubanks told the son the story of what happened in his own home. And that's how we know the story of what happened that day because he told the boy. Gotcha. Okay. He then asked the boy to get his father. And as the boy ran towards his own house, he looked back just in time to see Farmer Eubanks shoot himself in the head. It's said that the neighbors let him lay where he fell 
until he died. No one offered him any assistance, but that it took a while for him to die. And this, she adds, she believes, and so do I, is completely understandable considering what he had just done to his family. The following note was written by J.A. Eubanks and left on his front gate, the front gate of his home. Okay, what does it say? To whom it may concern. This is to notify you that I have lived in trouble long enough. This woman is hell and a heap of it. Marth, don't advise no one else to do wrong. So, according to Heather, she said it sounds to her like he was asking his mother-in-law, who's also named Martha, to let it all end. As if maybe she was try- he was trying to prevent retaliation or more bloodshed. Or that he was, in his last sentence, chastising her for riling up her daughter so much. Like, don't advise anyone else to do wrong. I see. Yes. Like, maybe the mother-in-law had too much of a voice in their relationship. In their relation, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. And maybe that's why, I don't know, maybe that led him to do what he did. I mean, it's awful. But to kill his children. I mean, that's disgusting, you know? So reading about the maniac farmer and his murdered family makes me think that maybe Aunt Nettie really did have blood in her floorboards and maybe we were right to be afraid. There's always a little bit of truth in every jest and every story. Sometimes just isn't made up to be a scary story. I'm happy to say that despite the horror that happened on that land, that Aunt Nettie lived to the ripe old age of 105. Wow. Yeah. That's insane. Mm-hmm. Aw. As long as I live, I'll never forget Aunt Nettie and her house of horrors. Oh, poor Aunt Nettie. I know. What is that? Is wild. That is wild. And it's so crazy, too, because I'm sure they walk past that house all the time mm-hmm. when they were playing and stuff. Like, you know, and not, I'm sure there was a point where maybe they didn't know. And how many kids go buy houses that they have no idea what happened there? Exactly. Yeah. That's crazy. It's crazy. Whew. Man, these stories this year, I think, is probably the best stories, I think. It's wild. They so just far, don't stop this coming. Is, this is great. Do you see how I couldn't cut anything? Oh, I don't want you to. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so our next story is from Maggie. So Maggie writes, when my son was eight months old, my first husband and I moved into a new apartment. We were there for about a week. My son woke up and started talking baby gibberish, and I was listening to see if he would go back to sleep or not. He started to fuss, so I got up and headed to his room, when all of a sudden, I heard someone say, shh, it's okay. You know what that makes me think of? Insidious again. Yes. Oh. Yes. 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 Oh, my God. And like, what do you do? I would want to run out, but then I'm like, oh, my God, but my baby's up there. What if someone's with my baby? What do you do? I don't know. She said, I woke up my husband and said, listen, and he heard it too. They both heard it. Mm -hmm. Ooh, okay. So I went to open the door and it wouldn't open. I shoved it and started losing my shit. My husband kept pushing at the door and then all of a sudden it flew open. And inside was the worst smell I've ever smelled in my life. And the light would not turn on. We ran to the crib and my son wasn't in the crib. 
we saw that the clown doll that we had in the bed with my son was in between the crib and the metal frame of the mattress. This was 40 years ago, so there was a metal mattress. That's what she makes a note of. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) She said, I spun around looking for my son, and he was sitting on the floor across the room. Like, how does that happen? Yeah, she said he couldn't have gotten out of the crib. He was fine. It's very weird that a motorcycle just passed our house. Hold on. Wait, I'm not done. He was fine, but ever since that night, my oldest son always spoke to people he never saw. He was killed in a motorcycle accident. Whoa. On April 21st, 2023. Okay, okay, now you got me even worse now. I hope that that sound went through and that they hear the motorcycle. That's strange. Ever since he passed, I hear people talking when no one is there. That's my scary story. And her late son's name was John Paul Anthony Hendricks. Oh, I'm sorry for your loss. Yeah. That's crazy, though. Like, how did the kid wind Get up? out of Yeah. The- Unbelievable. And now that just happened just outside our house just now? Yes. Ah. Oof. I, I hate it. Um, But it seemed... Uh, I don't know. There's two, like, separate things happening here because the, like, shh, it's okay, and then maybe... The baby was taken out to be comforted, but the fact that the door was staying shut, there was a bad smell and the light wouldn't go on, makes me seem like think that it was something insidious. Mm. I think you have a point there. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the next story we have is going to deviate from the supernatural and be just more creepy as hell. Okay, I'm ready. So this story is from Shannon. I worked in an optometrist office at the dispensary department. This is where you help patients pick out and fit glasses for them. At this time, I was around 20 years old, and customer service was very heavily preached at the office. One day, I had an elderly man come in and pick up his glasses. He was probably around 80 years old. His name was Charlie, and he used a walker to get around. At first, everything seemed normal. I was getting his glasses ready and fitted on his face, And he looked at me and said, I would like to take you home with me. What? Yeah. I smiled at him thinking he was kidding. And I continued to talk to him about his glasses. When I finished, I put his glasses in a bag and handed them over to him. He said once more, I would like to take you home with me. I would like to put you in this bag and take you home with me. Feeling very awkward at this point, but trying to make light of the situation, I said, oh, I'm sorry, but I won't fit in that bag. And then he said the creepiest thing that anyone has ever said to me. I will cut you up and put you in this bag and take you home with me and then put you back together. I'm sorry. What? What? That is so weird. Like, what? What? Like, at first, I could say, oh, yeah, and I want to take you home with me. Yes. Like, it's maybe like it's like an old, school pickup line. Yes. Yeah. But now we're getting a little, we're getting into some uh, murder here. Yeah, some serial killer some serial stuff. Serial killer shit. Yeah. I froze because I couldn't believe what had just come out of his mouth. He smiled at me like he didn't say anything wrong. So I said, have a good day and got up and left my station. I was shaking, and I couldn't believe what just happened. 
I immediately went into the back room and waited for him to leave. I told my coworkers what had happened and they prompted me to tell my boss. But unfortunately, my boss laughed it off and said, oh, he's probably just kidding and didn't say or do anything else. I asked one of my coworkers to walk out to the car with me that evening as I was working until 9 p.m. And in northern Canada, it gets pretty dark in the wintertime. About a week later, I was working and I saw Charlie walk through the door. I luckily was helping another patient, so I tried not to look in his direction. A male coworker of mine named Sean knew about the story because I mentioned it to him and that Charlie was in line waiting to be helped. Sean went over to help him with his glasses adjustment, and this is when Charlie saw me helping another customer. He told Sean, I want her to help me, and pointed directly at me. Sean said, I'm sorry, but she's unavailable, but he insisted that he only wanted me to help him. I then walked to the back room to get out of his line of sight. Sean eventually managed to calm him down and help him with his adjustment. Luckily, that's the last time I ever encountered Charlie. But that interaction has haunted me ever since. Kind of makes me think what he was like when he was a younger man. As I listen to true crime a lot, I wonder if he was a serial killer when he was younger. Or maybe it's just my imagination getting the best of me. I think it's a little bit of both, to be honest. Because uh, he, wow. if he's aggressive like that at that age, he was definitely aggressive when he was younger. And the fact that he was like smiling and like making a making you feel like what he said was no big deal. That's a little sadistic. Yeah. Like, you know, like, uh, like almost as if he's testing you to see your reaction to what he's saying. Exactly. It's really strange. And you're right. I wonder how this guy was when he was in his twenties and thirties and, you know, and forties, what was he doing? Yes. You know, wow. I would be scared too. You know, I, I would have been nervous as well. Like, what? What do you want to do? <laughs> yeah, I I Ugh. think it's very creepy. I agree. And there's another story that I just want to go over um, quick. And this is a story from a listener named Kaylee. She said, I'm a longtime listener and a huge fan of the show. I listen to many podcasts and yours is the only one I'm a Patreon of. Well, thank you so much. Thank we you. We very much appreciate it. She said, a few years ago, my husband, John, and I moved to Cleveland, Ohio for school. Okay. I got a job at Banfield inside of our local PetSmart. One evening after my shift, I was walking to my car. It was a warm summer evening, and it was still light outside. And the parking lot was fairly full. There were several people coming and going from their cars. But as I approached my vehicle, an older gentleman approached me. He said his name and said that he had a car broken down a few blocks away in the middle of an intersection. He said he had walked here because he had to make a phone call and now he just needed someone to take him back to his car. As I was trying to process his story, he could tell I was hesitant. He had a large duffel bag with him. He opened up the front pocket and pulled out his ID and showed it to me, saying he was a veteran and just needed some help. I asked him where his car was broken down, and he told me the cross streets. I knew exactly where he was talking about. I pass it on my way to and from work all the time. I stood there seriously contemplating if I should do a good deed and take this older man to his broken down car. But there was an inner voice inside of me that kept whispering, don't 
do it. Always listen to that voice. Agreed. I apologized and told him that I couldn't help him. And he got defensive, saying, you know, it's messed up that she was too busy to help someone in need. She said she apologized again and rushed into her car. She sat there for a little bit contemplating. Had I made the right choice? I watched him wander around the parking lot looking for another person to help him. But as I watched him, I thought it was very interesting that he walked right past a man loading items into his trunk and went straight to another woman who was walking to her car alone. I think you made the right call. (laughs) I think any man who was truly in need would ask not just single women, but anyone for help. He had a perfect opportunity to ask that man, but instead he passed it. And that was a huge red flag. Yeah. And you're right. Because this, whoever this person is, was looking for someone that was vulnerable, or in his eyes, vulnerable. And you know? what was in that duffel bag? Exactly. We have no idea. She said, on my way home, I drove past that intersection where he said his car had broken down. Lo and behold, there was no car broken down there. <laughs> oh, man. She said, I still get chills of what could have happened to me if I offered him a ride. Maybe he just wanted money or something worse, but... I'm not sure what his motive was, but I'm positive that my gut told me he had devious motives. And I'm so thankful that I listened to that inner voice. I think telling that story is really important because it's true. Like we need to listen to our inner voice more. And sometimes, like especially as women, we think that we're being crazy or that we'll be thought of as crazy or a bitch if we listen to it sometimes. But that can get you in trouble. So that's why you should always listen to that voice. I agree with you. You know, I mean, you have to do, you have to always follow your heart, follow your, you know, your gut. If, if, if you feel like something's off, most likely it is. <laughs> yes, I completely you know? agree. Okay. So we have our last story. Okay. There are, listen, it is not technically our last story. We have so many other listener stories, but there's just so many of them. Like we've already been through 20 pages. Save them. For next year. Exactly. That's what I'm thinking that we do. I mean, we always do that. But I'm saying since we didn't get through all of them, I mean, we kind of have a big list, but, you know, I'm sure you'll go through them (laughs) for next year. (laughs) So. Um, Okay. So this final one is from Joss. Now, I'm not sure exactly. It's Joss or Jossie from Sydney, Australia. So I'm sorry if I said it wrong. I apologize. I'm sure they'll forgive you. So she said, I am from Sydney, Australia, and I'm a Patreon of yours and a huge fan. So here is my listener story. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. We're going to end it with a bang. Okay. When my daughter was four years old, she went to daycare and she was a chatty little girl, always telling us stories about friends and their lives. In particular, Jono was the friend that she used to talk about the most. Jono got new shoes. Jono's favorite movie is The Lion King. Like, he was her best friend. When it came time to arrange her birthday party, I gave the invitations to the daycare staff to hand out. At pickup that evening, one of the educators handed me my daughter's bag and returned an invitation. It was Jono's. She said, I think you may have sent this by mistake. And I said, No, no mistake. Belle really wants Jono to come to her party. Sorry, what I meant was that we don't have a Jono at this daycare center. Ooh. Oh, no. An imaginary friend? Possibly ghost? 
What's going on here? When we got into the car to go home, I asked Belle if she was confused about her friend's name. I thought maybe she was mispronouncing it or something. And I said, well, daycare says that there's no child called Jono. And she said, mommy, Jono doesn't go to daycare. And she started giggling. He's a man. I was. Oh, God. (laughs) I was so confused. We didn't know anyone called Jono. Belle, where do you know Jono from? She was actually getting frustrated with me and all the questions I was asking. She said, Jono plays with me in my room. Dude. What? I started to feel sick. She said, when you and daddy have gone to bed. (gasps) What? I didn't say anything else. I just didn't know what to think. When we got home, I told my husband what had happened. He was as confused as I was. Could it be an imaginary friend? That night, we moved our daughter's bed into our room and she slept with us. About six months later, we were driving somewhere and Belle said, out of the blue, he still loves Francesca, you know. Who's, wait, what? Francesca is my husband's sister. She lost her fiance, John, in a freak accident many years earlier. Before Belle was born. Really? Yep. It was never discussed as the topic was too painful for my sister-in-law. Who, I asked, who still loves Francesca? Jono does. That's creepy. Because she wouldn't know. No. She would have no idea of that. Nope. And they wouldn't be talking to their daughter about the loss of a sister's fiancé. I asked my sister-in-law for a photo of John, and I put it in an album amongst other pictures. We sat Belle down and casually showed her the album, not leading her. And when we got to the page with the photo of John, we held our breath. And she said, oh, look, there's Jono. That is terrifying. They were all stunned. Wow. (laughs) That's crazy, right? Isn't that wild? Wow. She's older now and doesn't talk about people that we can't see anymore. That has got me shook. Did you ever do that when you were a kid? I did. You, you did that as well? Yes. I yeah. think that I shared it on the listener's I think you story. I, that's why I'm hesitant to say mine, but I had that happen as well. Yes. Uh, pretty much the same as her, her daughter. Right. You did talk yeah. about it. So like, yeah, it's I think it's thing. true that kids yeah. do sometimes, you know, have these experiences and... You know, it's just it's true. Well, I just hope it doesn't that happen to me. Kids are open to it. I don't. I don't want. I don't want to deal with that as a parent. I'm a little nervous now. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> New fear <laughs> unlocked. Definitely not a reason to not have kids. No, I didn't. But <laughs> I will definitely tell them to scare you at all times. No, don't do that. <laughs> uh. Well, I just want to say, like this listener stories episode was really difficult for me to do. Because there were so many amazing submissions, and I feel like I left out so many amazing stories, but we're just going to use them for our next episode. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to send out an email to all of those submissions and just say we're going to hold off until next year's scary stories because they're just so incredible, and I just want to share them with everybody. We're going to do something different and creepy for our additional Patreon episode this month. 
So I want to save these listener stories for everybody because they're so good. That's a good idea. Well, we hope we sufficiently scared you and that you enjoyed this year's listener stories episode. I cannot wait until next year's. And I know that I was scared, so I'm sure that you guys will be too. <laughs> but all, but all joking aside, thank you guys for your stories. They were great. Amazing. And uh, yeah, I get like you said, until next time. Until next time, don't park next to vans. Bye, guys. Bye.